0: Kia ora, I'm Emil, one of the hosts of Newsable, Stuff's daily news podcast. Because you've listened to True Story, I thought you might be interested in listening to our special episode discussing the Lauren Dickerson case. If you're in New Zealand, you're probably already aware that Dickerson was this week found guilty of murdering her three young children. This episode discusses some of the key issues that emerged during that trial. It's coming up in a moment, but... Before continuing, please be warned, many aspects of this case are very upsetting. There's a new episode of Newsable six days a week. You can follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Emil,
1: And I'm Jess. And on Wednesday, Lauren Dickerson was found guilty by a majority verdict of murdering her three children in Timaru in 2021. It was a horrifying case. And we don't want to dwell on the specifics of the trial itself today. There's been plenty of that over the past month.
0: But the trial threw a lot of light on some issues that we don't really talk about very much in Aotearoa the mental health of mothers, for example, and also how the criminal justice system deals with these abhorrent types of crimes. And so that's what we are going to talk about on today's show.
1: Later in the podcast, we're going to speak to Kristen Grace from a group called Mother's Helpers about how this case has made some mothers worried about revealing their own mental distress.
0: But first, this is one of the most closely scrutinised trials in recent years. So, Now that we've got a bit of distance, are our legal processes and systems well-equipped to deal with these sorts of cases? We sat down with Chris Gallivan, an adjunct professor of law at Massey University. Chris, welcome to Newsball. One of the interesting questions around this case is, you know, given the hugely emotional nature of the crime here and the really technical academic expert evidence the jury had to hear whether cases like this should actually be heard by a jury or whether some other option should be available.
2: I mean, what's your what's your take on the various arguments there? Yeah, look, my base position is that the jury system is really important to our system of justice, our system of criminal justice. It's integral to the uh, adversarial system but it's also also integral to that one of the base primary rights that any human being or anybody in New Zealand would even know would be well you've got a right to be tried by uh, a panel of your peers by 12 members of the community who are supposedly just like you and I so it's a really important right and of course we don't take away from that unless there are very very good reasons Emil you raise a couple of issues one is you raise the emotional um, trauma and harrowing nature of this case and, unfortunately, many cases. Mm -hmm. But you also raise the issue of the complexity. So on both of those accounts, there are really good questions about whether that means a case that has one or the other, let alone this one, they had both, whether that means it's a good fit or it's appropriate to be dealt with by a jury. The issue there comes down to whether a jury might be so overwhelmed by the horrific um, nature of this crime that they're just so blinded by the circumstances of it that they're not then able to apply clinically or at least analytically or objectively any sort of legal test. Now, just in the last 24 hours, I've spoken to some people really on the streets, some friends and family and people I've bumped into and said, Hey, what do you think about uh, the verdict in this case? And it's really interesting because it's been split. Some of them go, Well, what jury in New Zealand of a common people in New Zealand wouldn't find you guilty? Whereas other people, including my wife, who said, isn't the epitome of being insane um, is what she did? And therefore, how could they have found her guilty for murder? This case also is coupled with the second point you make, which is the technical difficulty of it and this is just one of those cases out of the uh, out of the bag not only is it horrific but it involves an area of law that's hardly ever used infanticide and an area of law that's used really insanity but is actually quite Complex, So it's got everything. And there is an, an argument, and this is recognised by the courts, that sometimes cases are too technical, perhaps involving too much expert witnesses. And so there is a provision under New Zealand procedural law for a judge to decide that a jury not hear really technical cases. Mm-hmm. So a long-winded answer. On the first issue about the horrific nature, no, I don't think that is something that precludes a jury dealing with things cases like this. But on the issue of the technicality, and the complexity, yes, that can be something in certain circumstances means that a case ought not to go to a jury.
1: And what would have the defence needed to have proved, Chris, in order for those insanity and infanticide defences to be accepted by the jury? In this
2: case, uh, they revolve around um, murder. Okay, that's the, that's the base charge. There has to be shown that there was a murder, and we lawyers talk about a mens rea, the mental element, and the actus reus, which is the physical element. The physical element is the killing. In this case, the killing of the children, and it's got to be accompanied with one of the mental states that is provided under the New Zealand Crimes Act. And for infanticide, there is a there's a very restrictive group of conditions that need to be met. It needs to be be a woman, it needs to be the mother of the victim, the victim needs to be under 10 years of age, and the reason for the killing needs to be associated with um, a mental break that is associated with childbirth or lactation. So you can see that it's now starting to get very specific Mm. and in this case this is what really a lot of the argument was about where they had experts on one side saying yes this was a condition that was an elongation from the the giving of the birth of the last set of uh, the last children who were twins at two years of age and here the crown said "No, no, 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 no there was a gap you know this Mm. person has had depression in the past yes but actually that's not That's not the condition under which she was laboring under when she committed this act. And so that was the question for the jury. Was it murder? Then was it infanticide, which they clearly rejected? And then the next question is, is it insanity? Um, And insanity is where there is a natural, here's the words, a natural imbecility or a disease of the mind. Mm. I mean, nobody uses those words. They're almost Victorian. (laughs) Um, But it has to, to render the person one of two things. Either incapable of appreciating the act that they have committed, or unable to appreciate the moral wrongdoing as would be seen in right-minded individuals within society. Mm, so those yeah. are the hurdles. You know, we almost it almost cascades down from murder through to infanticide through to uh, insanity. And that, that would have been the order that the judge would have directed the jury, perhaps even by giving them, I don't know, perhaps a little table for them to go and say, if this, yes, yeah, move here. If no, move there. You mentioned before about talking to
0: people about their opinions of the verdict and, and the fact that, you know, different perfectly reasonable, people have have totally different opinions on this. It has been a really polarising case. I've had the same experience as you. And um, I wonder what you think about whether there is perhaps like a, a lack of options in the justice system when it comes to the specific charges that can be laid in these sorts of cases. I know that you've, you've talked before about the idea of degrees of murder in New Zealand. We don't have degrees of murder here like other countries do. And perhaps some cases don't fit neatly into one box or another?
2: Yeah. The law of murder in New Zealand, or let's call it culpable homicide, because that covers murder, manslaughter, uh, infanticide. Uh, We've even got assisted suicide that sort of is there as well. Um, Look, it's a bit of a hodgepodge, you know, and um, I think the time has come. It had done in 2016 when I last talked about this, but it definitely has now for there to be a bit of a tidy up and a clean up. I I would rather see there to be some more nuance with the uh, opportunity of charging and also the fleshing out of some defences. One we haven't talked about is diminished responsibility, which effectively is a halfway house. Like if you don't meet um, insanity, but you are still labouring under under a mental illness then it might be diminished responsibility you don't get Mm. off scot-free it's not a complete defence but it might lower it from murder to manslaughter for example we don't have a defence that you might be legitimately justified in using some force in self-defence but you use too much then if you kill, you it's an all or nothing defence, self-defence. You're either successful or you're not. And if you're not successful, then anything that might actually be the nuance in it is caught in, in sentencing. I think that's a bit, uh, a bit rough and ready and we can do much better.
1: Chris Gullivan, adjunct professor at Massey University. Thank you so much for taking the time to explain all of that to us. Maternal mental health was central to arguments in the trial, and this has really shone a spotlight on postnatal depression. Lauren Dickerson had a number of risk factors for postnatal depression, including a history of depression, having twins, and she was a new migrant to New Zealand. Statistics show one in three new migrants who become mums experience anxiety or depression. Now, to talk about the mental health issues that some mums face, we're joined now by Christina Grace from support organisation Mother's Help. And it's probably fair to say that that's a subject which has kind of languished in the shadows, hasn't it?
3: It's quite difficult because a lot of mothers are feeling very emotional about the verdict um, and are fearful and worried. And so I think it's really, really important how we have the conversation about perinatal depression and anxiety. This conversation that we're having now is extremely important because it's kind of like we've had this very intense kind of four weeks of closely following this trial. And I think from our perspective, um, in terms of maternal mental health, but mothers, um, is that they are extremely affected by, by both the trial, the, the story, but also the outcome, the verdict what what's happening at the moment is that mothers are feeling worried that if they talk about how they're feeling that they may be judged because what they have seen is a lot of judgmental comments um, whether it's on social media or whether it's in family circles um, people are afraid to talk about how they're feeling and there was always a fear of being judged there was always a stigma um, around maternal mental health particularly um, as we know there's a stigma around mental health but the thing about maternal mental health is there's this expectation that mothers feel that they should be coping that they should be enjoying this whole motherhood gig and the fact is, is that it's extremely hard. It's, I mean, I'll put hand on my heart. It's the hardest job that I've ever done. Um, most wonderful, for me, the most wonderful and rewarding, um, it wouldn't change it for the world, but it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And um, and so already mothers were feeling that they couldn't be honest um, about how they're feeling. And so how we respond as a nation, at this moment, is actually really important. Um, it's really important that we are sending that message out to mothers that it does take a village. We're not just saying that; we're actually doing that.
1: Totally, and it's so tricky because, like you say, you can this. There's, there's such a spectrum when it comes to this. What do you say to mums who have experienced postpartum depression have really resonated with this case, and then? feel terrified because they can see just how bad it can get based on this case.
3: Yeah and um, infanticide is rare. Um, so that's the first thing to say. What is not what is common is thoughts of harming your children. And that may be shocking for people, but it is not everyone with perinatal depression or anxiety will have those thoughts. A lot of people will, will have thoughts of harming themselves. But some have thoughts of harming their children, and just being aware that the vast majority will not follow through on those thoughts. And it is common. And I don't, what I want to say is that yes, uh, it's important to reach out for help, but please don't judge yourself for having the thoughts. It's no one's fault to have perinatal depression or anxiety. Nobody, you know, nobody wants to have that condition. And childbirth and pregnancy and all of the stresses associated with that, that is the most vulnerable time for a mother to experience um, mental health issues. So let's be kind to our mothers let's just let them know that it's okay to be honest and it's okay to reach out for help. It's okay to ask for help. In the asking
1: for help, it seems, and this is something something that Lauren's parents said in a statement yesterday, the person experiencing depression and those closest to them may not be able to recognize just how serious that the postnatal depression can become. That, that feels quite confronting that there are people that you might be living with or that might be visiting you frequently that might not see just how bad it is for you.
3: And a lot of mothers um, do mask You know, I've been working in this field for 13 years and you'd be, you know, the amount of mothers that I see who are putting on a great front, but they have severe depression, it's so common. And it's because there is this pressure uh, that mothers are seen to be looking like they're coping. There's this, this pressure and that pressure comes from, I'll be judged if I don't. I'm failing as a woman. Because there's this kind of association that women, sh- you know, women should be good mothers. This is our main role in society. I- I'm not saying that that's the case. I'm just saying that that's those are the messages that we still have in society. If that makes sense, so people really, it's really hard for mothers to separate their identity from From motherhood, if I'm if I'm not coping as a mother, then I'm kind of failing as a as a woman. But we need to be talking about it more in our antenatal classes, um, education from our midwives. You know, screening. We need to be screening mothers more, because it is true that the leading cause of maternal deaths is suicide. It's not preeclampsia. It's not diabetes. And yet we're screening midwives are screening for that every single time at every visit. But when we've got low screening rates for depression or anxiety, so we need to be screening. That's a great point, Christina. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and
1: all the, the knowledge that you could bring to this. I thought it was a really interesting chat, so thank you. You're welcome. Just so you know, Mother's Help offer free clinical assessments, free individual or group counselling and antenatal classes for anyone who needs them.
0: Thanks very much for listening and we will be back on Monday.